0: to Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, I want to read the first uh, few verses of uh, chapter 11 of Isaiah. Before we do that this morning, though, perhaps I could, uh, just by way of introduction, let me say this morning that to focus our remarks, I would like to uh, not so much put them under a, a subject this morning or a topic, but maybe under a phrase if I can. And that would be, uh, what is true of Jesus must be true about his body or the church. What is true about Jesus must be true of his body or the church. And so we'll come back to that thought from time to time uh, as we proceed through this morning. But let me, uh, by way of introduction, if I can, can I uh, ask you to contemplate a picture? You have a picture at home. And this is a very beautiful picture. You admire it very, very much. And one of the very first things you do after you say to yourself, where will I, where will I put this? Where will I display this picture? Then you begin to look for a frame. Because we always tend to put, or most often we tend to put a picture that in a frame. So we display it in a frame. Now this idea of presenting a picture by placing it in a frame Now, we're very choosy oftentimes about the frame that we select because the frame must uh, present the picture. There are frames that will not present the picture. Don't do the picture justice. So we look for a frame that will not necessarily draw attention to itself. You don't want people coming up and saying, oh, look at the frame, look at the frame. You want people to come up and look at the picture. And so the picture frame must be subtle and yet it must do something. It must uh, isolate or set the picture apart from everything else. So that when people come in, they look and they're drawn to the picture and the frame lends to that whole entire process. Now, life is like that. Everything is like that. We always put everything in a frame. When you build a house, one of the very first things you do after laying the foundation is you begin to build a frame. And uh, everything is done by way of frames. We are constructed in that way physically. There is a frame, and everything is hung, if I can say, or placed or built upon that frame. Everything is like that. If you present an idea, you if we talk, you hear about the phrase of uh, framing an argument. In other words, everything is presented within certain context. A presentation of any kind has a framework to it. Now, when we come together as we have today... We come to worship and we come to sing the songs of uh, faith, we sing songs that draw our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to worship Him, but there is a framework within which we do this and that framework is, this is 101 really of Christian Assembly, and that framework is all preparation, how we prepare, because the framework is preparation and i think perhaps that uh we do not often even though this is 101 this is the basic of christian assembly but it's all about preparation for example if we do not prepare ourselves to come and worship the lord then oftentimes the most wonderful things pass us by for example these great songs that's, that that uh, are selected for us and they're not here for us just to sing them but they're here for us to they they are to bring us into the presence of the Lord, but we can't do that unless we come prepared. And uh, I don't mean so much the way we dress, although a few generations ago it was um, <laughs> it was completely unacceptable or unheard of for someone to come dressed as I am right now, casually. You never, in several generations back, you never would have seen anyone come into a Christian assembly on the Lord's Day dressed casually as we come, as we do. And I have no problem with that. Obviously, I'm dressed casually as you are. But one of the reasons originally that people came dressed up and had their finest clothes with a shirt and tie and their shoes shone was because it was a matter of reverence and it was a part of the preparation for coming to worship the Lord, to set it apart as a day unlike every other day. And so it was part of the framework. And then as time goes by, uh, the framework became, everybody looked at the framework. And so people said, well, uh, oh, look at that fine suit, look at that fine dress, look at that fine hairstyle. And everyone's focus was taken away from the picture and onto the framework. And so then some of us said, well, hey, let's forget about the framework. Well, I'm not talking so much about a framework that is the way we dress, I'm speaking this morning of a framework in terms of the way in which we prepare our hearts and our minds to come together. There must be a preparation for us to really honor the Lord and come into his presence prepared to really benefit from these songs and from the word as it is presented. And so I present that. We sing this oftentimes. We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. And we cannot do that without preparation. We often, part of our preparation, of course, is to get everything into perspective. And in order to get things into perspective, we are reminded of the words of another song, which are, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And some of you know the words as they continue. This world is not my home. But oftentimes, in our day-to-day lives, it's as if this world really is our home. We're not passing through. The way we live and the way we talk and the way we function and think, it's as if we are just here forever. This is our home, but it's not. This is just a temporary pilgrimage. And this really, life in its entirety, is a preparation for the life that is to come. And oh my, we have been given these precious years and months and days and time in which to prepare for our real home. And this is part of our preparation Let me just close this introduction part by saying there isn't anything that focuses our minds any more than being beside the bed of a loved one whom we have uh, talked to and conversed with and shared things with all of our lives and to be there as they depart this life and go to a place that we haven't seen yet. And we no longer can talk to them. We can no longer hear their voice. We can no longer pick up a phone and dial them and call them and share something that we have. We can't communicate with them anymore right now. And that picture will focus the mind, focus the spirit, and we will realize afresh and anew that this world is not my home, that I'm just passing through. I want to draw your attention back again this morning to Isaiah chapter 11. And verse number two. What is true of Jesus must be true about his body. What is true of Jesus must be true about his body, the church. In the same way in which our physical body enables the mind and the thoughts of the mind and the decisions of the mind to be expressed and manifested, likewise the church or the body of the Lord Jesus Christ here in this world manifests and... Uh, expresses into the world his thoughts, his mind. And so we are at Isaiah chapter 11. First of all, verse 2 would be the one I'll draw your attention to. You have it on the screen. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Let me read it again. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This, of course, is prophesied by Isaiah. This prophecy is, concerns the Messiah. And it says that when the Messiah comes, that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of the, of the Lord will rest upon him. That means that the Spirit of the Lord will settle down upon him. It means also that the spirit of the Lord will dwell upon him. So the word rest upon means to settle down upon and to dwell upon him. It says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now I will read continuing, it's not on the overhead, but I will read continuing at verse 3. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see. Now, this is true about our head. This is true about the Lord Jesus, and there must be something about this that is also true of us, because what is true of Jesus must also be true about his body, his church, those who follow him, believe in him, commune with him, fellowship with him. And what I mean by this is that there must be, and there ought to be, and there should be, in the life of every believer, that which resembles our Lord, to be like him. We sing about this, to be like him, oh, to be like him. But this is the nature of Christianity. This is not true of just the true of those who are advanced in the faith, the great ones that we might think of. But this is true of all those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, it says in Isaiah again, verse 3, about him, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That should also be true in a measure. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that we have the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in in every individual believer so that every individual believer is exactly like him. I don't mean that. I mean that every individual believer must resemble him. Come in his likeness. So that we are like him, but we haven't matured in advance and advanced uh, and exactly like him, but we resemble him. So, in other words, it says about him that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So we ought to delight also in the fear of the Lord. It says that he will not judge by what his eyes see. That means that the assembly of believers. The church or the body of Christ must also not judge by what our eyes see. You know, outward, external things. It goes on to say here, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. We ought to be resemble him in that way as also. Then it says in verse 4, But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. What does it mean he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth? Does that sound to you like some kind of violence? Does that sound like he will he's just out as a destroyer to destroy the earth by the word of his mouth? No. It means that his word is the most awesomely powerful force in the universe. It is by his word that everything that we see came into existence. And it is by his word that the earth is to be commanded. And the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to have that same feature in it. We should have that same feature in us. The most outstanding thing about us should be the power or authority or the spirit of the words that we use when we speak. It says, "...he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath... Of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Well, does that mean he's just going to slaughter the wicked? See, the idea is not so much physical violence here as it is that evil is overcome. The evil, wicked people are transformed, overcome, challenged, and rebuffed by the breath, spirit of his lips by what he says. Now, you think about this for a moment and you say to yourself... This is really how I experienced and began to experience the transformation in my own life. It was because I heard the word of the Lord. And when I heard the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord began to command the interior of my life. This is exactly what this passage is talking about. Verse number five, it says, also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist, and this idea is that he, the Messiah, that he will be completely surrounded or enveloped by righteousness and faithfulness. That means that he will reside within righteousness and faithfulness, that everything he does will be, will be, will come forth from a place of righteousness and faithfulness. Wonderful passage of scripture. Now I'd like to ask you to turn to John's Gospel, if you would, the Gospel of John and chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verses uh, 32 and 33. And this passage of Scripture, written of course uh, five or six hundred years after Isaiah, This passage written by John uh, speaks about the Messiah when he came, and John is writing these words. Speaking about John the uh, the Baptist, and it says uh, in verse number 32, speaking about John the Baptist, it says, And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Now John the Baptist actually saw this by means of a physical or a spiritual vision. He saw this in vision. He saw the uh, spirit in a bodily form. He saw the spirit in a form, descend, and rest upon the Messiah, upon Jesus. And this happened, of course, at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. This is a fulfillment, of course, of Isaiah chapter uh, 11 and verse 2 that said that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, uh, settle down upon him, and dwell upon him. Now we have uh, John the Baptist saying, And I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he, that is the Spirit, remained upon him. Verse 33 And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And then I ask you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. And verse number 40. Luke chapter 2, and verse number 40. This passage of Scripture, of course, in the second chapter of Luke begins to describe to us the early uh, life of Jesus, the life of Jesus in his early years. For example, in verse number 39, it describes when he was a very uh, young child and Uh, how that his parents, uh, Joseph and Mary, took him back to Nazareth in Galilee. In verse number 40, we have these words. Remembering in Isaiah 11 and verse 2, it said, uh, The spirit will rest upon him. And then it said, The spirit of wisdom and of understanding would rest upon him, settle down upon him, abide upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. What is true about the Lord Jesus should also and must also be true about his body. So the spirit of wisdom and understanding rested upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding should, must rest also upon his church, his body. It should rest upon you. It should rest upon us. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Spirit of wisdom and understanding is a marvelous and wonderful thing because it enables a wisdom and an understanding that's not of this world. But it is a wisdom and understanding that comes from above. And it enables an individual, even in this present uh, world, in this present life, to be able to see things at a deeper level than just a surface level. To be able to understand things at a more in-depth way, so that when you assess, you're not just assessing something from what your eyes see or what your ears hear. But there is that faculty within you, which is your spirit, your deep mind and because of the presence of the risen lord in you in you uh, in you and in your life you are enabled to be like him now again not in the same degree that he is but s- similar to him like he is more and more and more and as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the lord then we become i hate to I hesitate to use the word skilled But we become uh, more proficient in this spiritual discernment. And so I ask you to join me in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 40. And now we find these words. After Jesus had returned to Nazareth in Galilee, his parents had uh, resided there, of course, lived there. And he's. uh, it says, And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him again verse 40 and the child continued to grow and become strong increasing in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him now here's the idea he continued to increase in wisdom because the spirit of wisdom and understanding was upon him this is a great truth it's it's very simple but we do not become as believers we do not become wise you know you don't just become wise You become wise because the spirit of wisdom and understanding begins to rest upon you. So you are enabled to develop and grow in wisdom and understanding because of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that rests upon you. And the more of the Spirit that rests upon you, in other words, the more of the Spirit of God that you and I are able to experience and fellowship with and receive the greater is this the amount of wisdom and understanding that rests upon us and abides upon us. Now, in verse number 41, we find uh, these words. It says, And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Every year at the Feast of the Passover, Joseph and Mary would go up with all of the people from Nazareth, a lot of family members and friends, and they would all in caravan uh, travel to Jerusalem to the... Passover every year and so when Jesus was one year old whatever it would be they would go up two years old they went up three years old they went up four years old they went up five six seven eight they went up every year and he went up with them nine ten eleven years old he went up with them and even in the, his eleventh year he was the same as all other years here's the fascinating thing that when they went up every year to the feast of the Passover and he went up with them he was the real Passover lamb the true Passover lamb he came into this world to be the Passover lamb and they all had their lamb every family had their lamb sacrificed in the temple at Jerusalem but he was the Passover lamb and he went with them every year year after year after year knowing that he himself would, at one Passover in the future, that he would be slain, and his death would be that, the death of that Passover lamb that all the other physical little lambs exemplified, typified, illustrated, and pointed to. Now, on this particular Passover year, when he was 12 years old, at the time of the Passover, he went up, with his parents, and verse 43, and as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. It came about after three days that they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers both listening to them and asking them questions. Now these teachers would be the most uh, eloquent, well-studied, high reputation in all of Judea, in all of Israel. And he was sitting in the midst of them And he was listening to them and asking them questions. In verse 47 it says, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. A 12-year-old young man, and all who listened to him were amazed. The most uh, highly educated of them all was amazed at the answers that he was providing them. And he was providing these Astonishing and eloquent answers because of the spirit and wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and understanding that rested upon him. Now when John saw, when Jesus was about 30 years of age, when John saw the Holy Spirit in a bodily form come and reside and rest upon Jesus, don't think that that was the first moment that the Holy Spirit rested upon him. Don't think that. Uh, John would say that the reason that I came, John, the reason that he came baptizing in water was so that the Messiah might be manifested or shown to all of Israel. God does everything exactly the way he has prophesied it, and he does nothing contrary to the way in which he has prophesied it. There was a prophesied way in which the Messiah would be revealed to Israel, and that was that when he was baptized in the river by John, that's the reason John had the baptism uh, the ministry of baptism in water. All of those hundreds, uh, perhaps thousands of individuals who were baptized by John. there was a baptism under repentance, but the real reason that John was called to baptize was so that one day the Messiah might come and John might see the Holy Spirit in a bodily form come and rest upon him. And that would be the moment that he would be disclosed or revealed or manifested to Israel as the Messiah. But the Spirit rested upon him, of course, from the very first moment. The Spirit was resting upon him when he was 12 years old. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Luke chapter uh, 24. Luke chapter uh, 24. And verse number thirty-two, Luke twenty-four, and uh, verse number thirty-two. And I want to read through to the end of verse number uh, forty-five. This is the account, of course, of of the two men, the two of. Followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, after the, uh, at the time of the resurrection of the Messiah. And I begin to read at uh, verse number 32. Now here's the thought I want. The reason I'm reading this particular passage. It says that the spirit of wisdom and understanding would rest upon the Messiah. Isaiah prophesies this in chapter 11, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And now imagine what it would be like to hear him upon whom the spirit of wisdom and understanding has rested upon him in such a profound way. What would it be like to have him teach you from the scriptures? See, what would that be like? What would be going on in you while he, this one upon whom the spirit was poured out without measure, The Spirit is upon each of us in a measure. We have a measure. But the Spirit was poured out upon him without measure. After Jesus had uh, appeared to them and walked with them, of course, on the road to Emmaus, they had come back to Jerusalem In the breaking of bread, it was revealed who he was to them. And now in verse number 32, as they are reciting and uh, speaking about their experience, And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Now, in order for anyone to be successful and effective in the... Again, I come back to our beginning. What is true of Jesus must be true, I could say in measure or in likeness, must also be true about his body, must be true about the church. In other words, in order for anyone to really teach the scriptures or present the word of God, there must be a measure of the spirit of wisdom and understanding resting upon the person. Now it says that, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us, on the road, and while he was explaining the scriptures to us, now the heart's burning within us. It's not this is not uh, indigestion. It's not uh, it's not heartburns. Heartburn to be cured by Rolaids. This is uh, it's the spirit is just made alive and is dancing for joy. The mind of these two men has been opened to understand the scriptures. They have begun to understand things that they had read and heard read all of their lives without understanding now their mind is open their hearts of course are enlarged within them thrilling it is while he was speaking to them on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us and they arose that very hour and returned to jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying the lord has really risen and has appeared to simon And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. There's a great sermon for you, just enlarge upon that. He was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling those things, he himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a a vision or a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet; that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Now, just let me pause for a moment and say: If you ever had anything where you didn't understand it, and you uh, said, "You know, Lord, I'd really love to be able to understand that. I'd love to be able to, you know, see that in a way that I really uh, understand it," then don't feel that uh, you can't ask Him to give you that understanding. And don't feel that that's a lack of faith because you would like to understand something uh, better perhaps than you do. That's not that's not a lack of faith. He will honor that just as you see him honoring it here. They thought it was a ghost or a vision or a spirit. Uh, they didn't think it was really him. And he said, yes, it is. And see uh, my hands and my feet. Now, he he has talked often about Slow of heart to believe, and why do you doubt, and so on. But at the same time, he is very willing to teach and to show. And uh, if you say, "Just prove it to me, do a sign," he won't do that. But if you're honest in your heart and you're really honest in your questioning, he will reveal that in his own time. He will. He always would. He always has, and he always will. And so he said to them, "See my hands and my feet." That it is I myself, touch me and see. Touch me and see. There's another sermon for you. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they stood, could, uh, still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish And he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then, look at verse 45, And then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. He opened their minds to understand the Scripture. And when he did this, it means that there was a spirit of wisdom and understanding that was imparted to them. Spirit of wisdom, and understanding that was imparted to them. I could give you a definition uh, to enlarge upon the word wisdom, spirit of wisdom and understanding. This is what wisdom is. Um, Wisdom uh, means insight. Wisdom permits insight. Uh, When you uh, receive a spirit of wisdom from the Lord, from his spirit, then that means that you have been given insight. You can see into things, not just on the surface of it. It also means that you have been uh, given uh, a practical skill in some kind of application. In other words, you are given the insight for a reason. You're given the insight so that you might do something with it. And so it enables you, it gives you a practical skill, this kind of insight. When Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, and he had this uh, marvelous insight into her life, what was the, he said uh, to her, he said, go and uh, call your husband. Remember that? Go and call your husband. Now, when he said to her, go and call your husband, it called forth from her either... uh, Honesty, or, you know, kind of a cover-up. And what came forth from her when he said, go and call your husband, was honesty. I don't have a husband. You've had five of them. The one you're with now is not your husband. See, the practical skill that the spirit of wisdom affords. And the marvelous thing is that what is true about the Lord Jesus is in measure... I need to qualify this. I feel the need of explaining this or or attempting to explain this in a way so that we don't someone doesn't think we're trying to say that everybody is just a, another Jesus. You know, we're not. But we're like him. The life of the believer must resemble him. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ or the true church is to express him in this world. And how can the true church express him in this world unless the true church as a body can be like him and can receive his thoughts and can welcome his spirit. Now the word understanding, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the word understanding is knowledge and it's the act of knowing. For example, in the same account of the woman at the well where he said, you've had five husbands, five husbands. Of course, this is uh, knowledge, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Some would say that the spirit of wisdom permits you to act upon what the spirit of knowledge allows you to have. For example, you can know something and then do something really foolish based on the knowledge. Right? Just because we know something doesn't mean that we have acted prudently or appropriately or insightfully with regard to it. So the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of knowledge go together and they actually are so closely related that they are indivisible. And then another portion, of course, of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. And I will quickly share this with you this morning. Was that the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of counsel and might would rest upon him. Not, not just the spirit of wisdom and understanding, but also the spirit of counsel and might. The word counsel, as used here, means uh, instruction. So uh, the Spirit rested upon him in such a way as to provide instruction according to the need. It is advice. It is admonition or caution. So the Spirit of counsel will give instruction and it will give advice and it will give admonition and it will give caution. And uh, to amplify this uh, this morning, I, again, I invite you to turn back to the Old Testament to uh, the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and uh, find with me Proverbs 73, Proverbs 73, and perhaps we could read a few uh, verses of the 73rd proverb together. And uh, I love this this morning because it is an example of the spirit of counsel. Do you ever feel, and I know you you do from time to time, we all do because we live in this this present darkness. Um, There are many things that occur that we would like to understand better, we'd like to see better, and we would like to be able to go to someone who might be able to give us the counsel that we need. Psalm 73. Listen to... Um, this psalm of Asaph. And I'll read uh, all these uh, verses of this psalm 73 right through to verse number 24 because we want to uh, get it in its context. What we're looking for this morning is this idea of counsel. In other words, where the question is answered. The light comes. And when the light comes, you begin to see now, there's instruction in this uh, psalm about where to go to get that light, in what kind of environment that light comes. Ruth selected a song for us that we sang a few moments ago called "Enter in." Enter in." And uh, perhaps I can ask Pat to get ready, and we'll put that up and read it through after we read this psalm. 73 verse one: "Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, the imagination of their heart run riot... They mock and wickedly speak of oppression they speak they speak from on high they have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth therefore his people return to this place the waters of abundance are drunk by them and they say how does god know and is their knowledge with the most high behold these are the wicked And always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. The apparent success of those who are ungodly uh, sometimes is a great stumbling, a point of stumbling, an occasion for stumbling for many people. Why? What, what, what profit is there in my having served the Lord all these years and the difficulties that I've had to endure? And look at these people who seem to have this easy path and they don't even recognize the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And this is where Asaph was in that kind of a place. Now, verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I should have betrayed the generation of thy children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until. See, it was troublesome in my sight until. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Until I came into the place where the presence of the Lord resides. Until I came into a place of real worship till I came into a place that had been set aside and dedicated to meet with God and to worship Him and to fellowship with Him and to receive from Him to prepare myself for going there and to receive from Him while there until I came into the sanctuary of God then I perceived their end then he's saying then I saw that this world is not my home these are my words this world is not my home I'm just passing through this The end is not yet. The end is up ahead. The final judgment and assessment of things is in the future, not now. Then I perceive their end. Surely thou dost set them in slippery places, and thou dost cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused. Thou wilt despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. and I was like a beast before Thee. I love the honesty of the Scriptures. Nevertheless, I am continually with Thee. Now he realized that when he got into the sanctuary. He began to realize that, you know, God's not just with me at certain times, but he is always with me. I remember a certain occasion several years ago when there was a moment of revelation to myself of the nearness of the presence of God. And I remember just exclaiming, Oh, he is closer than my hands and my feet. And he said now, in verse twenty three, nevertheless I am continually with thee, thou hast taken hold of my right hand. With thy counsel thou wilt guide me. Here we come to the counsel, the spirit of counsel and might. And with thy counsel thou wilt guide me. And afterward receive me to glory. Receive me to glory. Isn't that wonderful? Also it is the spirit of might, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. Might is uh, defined as strength. Spirit of might is to be strong and to have strength. It means power, it means force, it means ability. It means uh, efficiency or efficacy. It means the spirit which enables one to be strong and to have uh, power which is uh, efficient, which is able to accomplish that task that is given to accomplish. The spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. Let me just remind you as I close this morning our thoughts together of a few passages of Scripture that speak about the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. For example, in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, it speaks about, "...he strengthened himself in the Lord." It's a good thing to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You can strengthen yourself in the Lord. You have to go to uh, the sanctuary. Where's the sanctuary? It's not in Jerusalem, it's inside you. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. There is a place inside you that is reserved for the Lord Himself. And in that sacred place in your spirit, where Jesus is enthroned, that becomes a sanctuary. In order to come into that place, it means that you come into a place where you enter in to the sanctuary within yourself. Because you are a temple of the Spirit of the Lord. And this is in your deep thoughts, your deep spirit, your meditation within. The whole idea of a prayer shawl in Judaism, that which covers the head, is to have a place where you shut out the outside. This is the idea of go into your closet and close the door. Your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. The whole idea is, it's not just the physical, it's it's the physical where you go into a special place, a quiet place, but it is to focus on the interior. It's the sanctuary. And so it says in first Samuel thirty and six that he strengthened himself in the Lord. In Peter chapter first Peter chapter four and verse 11, it speaks about serving in the strength that God provides or supplies. In Hebrews thirteen and nine, It says, we find these words, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for the heart or the spirit to be strengthened by grace. And then James 5 and 8, it speaks about strengthening your hearts. Strengthening your hearts. This grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Can I close this morning with this statement? What is true of Jesus, must always, must also, in measure, be true about his body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless us and add his blessing to the words that we've shared together today. May the Lord bless you. Enter in. I asked you, Pat, if you would put the words up to enter in. I just wanted to look at these words again. They were wonderful this morning too. To sing, Enter into His presence, enter into His love. Enter into the presence of the Lord by His blood. Enter into salvation by the blood of the Lamb. Enter into the throne room of the great I Am. Enter into His presence and receive by His grace the privilege to worship Him here in this place. Enter into His presence and let us bow before Him. Give Him glory and honor as we enter in. Enter into the throne room of God by the precious blood of the Lamb. Praise Him, praise Him, and sing of His great love as we all enter in. And that's preparation, and we prepare to enter in. The most important thing, of course, this morning, I'll leave you with this thought again, is the frame. You put the picture in the frame, the frame is there to illustrate, point to, complement the picture. Our preparation as we come to worship is there to allow us to really enter in. Enter in. Amen.